Welcome to the Peaceful Power Podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Clausen, and today I have Christina Sticka-Jacobs with us. She identifies as a woman, mother, yoga practitioner, as well as teacher and writer. She has served as a school psychologist for the past 19 years. So welcome to the show today, Christina. Thank you, Andrea. I'm really excited to be here. So I should also just reference, so I've known Christina now a couple years. Is that when we had the yoga teacher training? Yeah, at least it's been a while. I know. I know. And so I know Christina pretty well. We went on um, a little girls like weekend and we rented, I think I talked about it on the podcast a little at the ARC retreat and did a little vacation. And that was amazing. Highly recommend if people are listening to make sure you make time for that. We were just discussing, you know, a few weeks ago about doing that again. So I am very excited to have you on and just going to have a great conversation about all of your work in the world and want to share all of your wisdom with everyone. So I want to start though, first, let's like dive into your yoga journey, um, because that is, you know, where you started, I suppose, with everything that you're doing now is your first yoga teacher training. So -hmm. can you share a little bit about what made you interested in yoga? Sure. I would love to. Well, I remember my first yoga class I ever took was actually in college. I took it for a credit. Um, It was just one of those offerings to kind of fulfill. I think at that time it was for like, you know, physical education or something that was part of my uh, coursework that I needed to take for my degree. So I was like, I'll take yoga because that seems it seems like something that I could learn from instead of just doing like aerobics or whatever the other offerings were. And I was a runner at the time, very avid runner. So I didn't think I needed to, I I didn't think I had much to learn from any of those aerobic type things, but yoga was new to me. Um, So I went to this yoga class and the first, I remember the first day we were in this, like it was a makeshift place. And it wasn't like a studio and it wasn't very open. We were kind of on different levels. It was kind of like an auditorium, but without the seats. And the instructor was in the front. And I just remember how she held that space for us. And it completely transformed that what was kind of like a, you know, sterile environment, you know, like it wasn't made for this. uh, It didn't have the ambiance of what you might expect when you're in a place of practicing yoga. Um, as we might experience it today. But she transformed that space just by her presence. Mm. And throughout that first, I remember the first week and then the next week, and I just looked forward to that class so much. And I had no idea what was happening while I was there. I was just like, something is happening that doesn't happen to me in other places. I was uh, experiencing something transformative that I just knew I had to keep going back to it because I was... um, I was experiencing something I just really never felt in other areas of my life or through other forms of exercise or through my academic work. Um, So that was my first experience with yoga. And after that course ended, I kind of kept up with aspects of it um, as far as a personal practice goes, but it was mostly sun salutations. Mm. And I, I remember just kind of having that like wrote memory down of how to go through like sun salutation a, and I just did that, um, as part of my routine for many years. And then when I went through and I continued that through graduate school and I didn't really attend other classes, I just kind of kept up with what I had learned from that first instructor. And then fast forward through many years of um, then having, getting married, having three children, and I'm in my career now. I'd been practicing as a school psychologist for 
I suppose at that point I, I was in it like 12 years and I started to just feel really bogged down mm. by what I was doing and the frustrations I was having within that job and feeling like I was really missing something. And I, I kept coming back to this idea of what I was experiencing in that first yoga course I took at in college. And I, it was like, I just have to go back to something like that. I think that there's maybe some answers there for me that I have, I need to explore. And so I just started searching for yoga teacher trainings, not knowing if I wanted to be a teacher, but knowing I wanted to just dive deep into understanding what yoga was and why I felt the way I did when I practiced yoga. Um, so I found T Tanya Boyganzan through Devanati um, in Minneapolis, and she has like a, a satellite program in Fargo, North Dakota, and I live in Moorhead, Minnesota. So I joined that program and I did my 200 hour through Devanati in Fargo. And then right after that, I was like, well, this is just, this is just a taste. Like I've got to go, I've got to keep going. So then I joined the 300 hour. Um, and then that's where I met you. So that was awesome. And we became our Dharma buddies and, and the story began there, but, and then that was kind of during when COVID started. So we did a lot of our stuff virtually. And I was like really saddened by that because I was excited about the prospect of traveling away one weekend a month to, to get that really deep dive into the yoga studies. But as it was, I, I really felt like Tanya and the other teachers we experienced during that time did an excellent job, just phenomenal with using Zoom and um, like a virtual classroom and all the things that we did that way that really did um, create that Sangha for us that, that you look for when you're in person. They did a great job uh, with the virtual piece of it. And then eventually we did get to be in person, but that was awesome. And you're much taller in person, Andrea. Yeah. <laughs> you actually you were. <laughs> I bet you get that a lot. Andrea and Kelsey, tall. all three of us were like five, 10. We're like, Hey, who knew? <laughs> <laughs> like, Oh my gosh, you only get this little aspect of somebody on the screen and you meet them in person and, and you're just so vibrant in your personality and what you exude, but your, your absolute height was something I was not expecting. <laughs> And I'm not so short funny. either. I'm like, you know, I'm five, eight. So, but man, Andrea, oh, so, so yeah, that led me through then uh, teacher training through the 500 hour. And yeah, I just keep wanting to learn it though. And when we departed, when we kind of graduated from that program, I remember um, the question that came up when we kind of sat in circle with everybody and it's like, what's next? Mm -hmm. Like, where are we going next? And uh, I had this inkling that yoga nidra was mm -hmm. next for me. And it was, I mean, like that, I, I had kind of got the feeling through the training that I needed to dive deeper into yoga nidra then. Um, and yeah, so post that training, I went on to get more in-depth training specifically in yoga nidra because it really captivated me and I found that my personal practice with yoga nidra was so beneficial and I wanted to be able to offer that to other people in a really genuine way and I just um so I I can't speak more uh positively about that whole experience and what it brought brought for me and then just that impulse to want to then share it with other people because it is just amazing and you trained under Hillary, who was on the podcast. Yeah. I don't probably earlier this year, I think I had her on. 
Yes, so <laughs> yeah, my intention, I'm like, I was going to plan on training with her too. And she, at the time of this, she's probably had her baby. Um, and so it's so, so kind of full circle in that moment as well. Yeah. I want to talk about speaking of babies, because this is something that kind of came up as you were just sharing. Cause I, I feel like now that I have my, my little guy, my seven-year-old, we were getting to the place where you're like, okay, I can, you know, leave him at home and go do things. And, mm-hmm. you know, now that I'm back in baby mode, I'm like, oh man, making time for yourself. It is, it is tricky. And, you know, as you said, you have three kiddos mm-hmm. and now your kids are older now, but if people are listening, they're like, man, how do you make space or how do you, cause I think sometimes we feel guilty for taking time for ourselves. And, you know, as you had said, you know, coming down to like the cities to come do this yoga teacher yeah. training and being away from your family, what advice do you have for people who are like, maybe their kids are older, like yours and are like, I, I have the space, but still have that, like, just like guilt feeling, you know, is there any tips that maybe you can help people like, Hey, it's okay to explore your passions now. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. I, in my own experience, I noticed that I am better at being me in whatever role I am playing at that moment, whether it's mother, whether it's in my job as a school psychologist, or whether it's teaching in yoga, that I am, I need to be embodying what it is that I want to be presenting to other people, right? So if I want to be a parent that is fully in and fully present with my kids to their needs, then I have to be doing that to myself. Because you can only give what comes from you. And so if it's not there, if you don't have it in you because you haven't given yourself that same love and attention that you want to give to those people that are important in your life or feed that into your job or feed that into service, uh, you're not, it, it's, it's like pulling from like a dry tank. You're not, <laughs> nothing comes from that. There's got to be water that's flowing. There's got to be a reservoir. And so I, I have found that time and time again, when I've come up with that guilt and be like, I'm just going to push through this because the guilt is so strong. And you're like, I just need to be fully sacrificing myself to the other people in my life. And I, I don't present well that way. Like that, then those people or the people that I'm serving are not getting the best of me. They're getting like a, a, an exhausted version of myself. And that's, They don't deserve that. And that's not what I want for them. So if I want better for them, I have to first start with doing better for myself. Mm -hmm. And that's what experience has shown me time and time again. And making time for your practices, you know, to teach. I just, um, well, the time of this recording, it will already have been live, but I recorded a podcast about that embodying your practices. And as a teacher, making sure that you're doing the practices yourself. And I know personally, after my 200 hour, I didn't necessarily embody or do the practices I taught, but I wasn't like, I wasn't deep in my own practices. And so I would love for you to speak to that as well in your own experience with that. And maybe, I mean, and that's not to like guilt any teachers who are like, that's me right now. I don't have my own practice. I just don't Mm -hmm. have the space or I'm not making the space, whatever the reason Mm is. Um, maybe your own experience with that. Cause I know for me, I'm a, way better teacher when I do my own practices, when I'm deep in my meditation practice and my pranayama and, you know, doing yoga nidra and I'm doing those things. Cause then I can, you know, put that into my students where otherwise I'm just kind of like, I haven't done it in a while. And it's going to be more surface level than as deep as the practice could be. Yep. Yes. I totally agree with that. I feel like, um, the difference between kind of what you mentioned 
with a teacher that might just be starting out or in that 200 hour level, like you talked about when you were first a teacher, what often happens is we're like so excited about asana basically, yes. right? Because that's what that's a what lot of learn. That's exactly what you learn. And for good reason. I mean, we have to make sure people are safe with their bodies. And if we're directing movement, we want to make sure that we are at least understanding what movement is and how to safely guide that. So, I mean, there's merit in that, but it's only after you start really using whether you start from asana, if that's the place you start, or whether you start from more um, philosophy or reading text, eventually in the repetition and consistency of it is where the ahas come from. That's where the revelation is. And so I think you just are where you're at at that 200 level, right? That's, that's just where you are. And there's no shame about that or judgment, like you said, it's just where you are. And I think what I've learned through this process is in the beginning, I felt like I really, um, I thought way too much. I had, mm. I was always in my thinking mind, like, uh, really focusing on the poses as far as like the sequencing and things like that. And over time, when I put more effort into my personal practice, then it, whatever just came from me was what was intended to be for that class that day. And it's so much more genuine. And I've gotten feedback from students just being like, wow, because they felt it differently too. So if it's coming from an authentic place of the practice that comes from you, rather than you reciting something that your, your cognitive mind just like fabricated from things that you've learned, it comes across as just being a little bit too scripted and to, um, it isn't, it just isn't what the students need. It comes out as being more of like an academic approach to something. And, and that's not what yoga is. It's really about the, the experience, um, and being in it. And I think you can only be in it again, going back to how we, um, find time for ourselves. Like you have to be in it. You have to be doing the experiences for yourself in order to share that with others. So I think that comes in time, but definitely if I had anything to say to teachers that are at that point in just finishing their 200 hour or they're in it is don't focus so much on the teaching. Maybe don't even teach right away. You know, like sometimes you get so excited that you get that certificate and you can teach, right? But maybe don't. <laughs> maybe it's more a matter of spending time honing your practice, being with yourself and see where that takes you. And then if you feel like that, that the, you genuinely can then share it, that that's the time to teach. Mm. Yeah. And sitting with the same practice day in and day out, I know that was something that Tanya had said to us. And yeah. that was kind of like my, Oh, I keep <laughs> trying to switch things up. And, oh, yep. so, and as I'm thinking, I'm like, okay, that's really Vata disturbing. Cause every day you're just trying to think of something brand new. And then if you reflect, you're like, man, I really can go way deeper with myself if it's yes. the same thing. And then when I did my first meditation training with Tracy Stanley, that was her thing is we did the same meditation and almost the entire like four weeks training, it was the same thing. And you're supposed to practice it daily. And I was like, wow, I really, I embodied it and I could easily, you know, walk students through it. And I know that they really could feel it because a lot of them were like, wow, I love that you're incorporating some pranayama and practice because a lot of the teachers don't and, you know, having that space for meditation. And I was thinking in my head, I'm like, I'm sure it's because the same reason we were just discussing, like if we don't spend time with it ourselves, it's harder for us to 
to pull from, you know, our own teachings and our own experience, just because it's not there where if it's really embodied in you, you can easily pull from it and just really go deep with it. So I can definitely feel that. Um, one of the things that I wanted to kind of dive into too, about this is with the yoga nidra and with your practice there. So you have, you know, since doing your trainings, you know, you've written a book about your reflections on rest and, um, it's been now a while in case people haven't, um, tapped into the interview I did with Hillary. Can you maybe talk people through if they're brand new to like, what is this yoga nidra? You know, maybe they've seen it on class schedules and they're not Mm. quite sure what exactly does that mean? What do classes look, look like? And I think, again, a lot of times we think the poses, but can you talk us through what's that? What is that yoga nidra? Yes, absolutely. Definitely go back and listen to that interview with Hillary because she's phenomenal. And she was my teacher, um, that for this yoga nidra training that I received, but it is for those listeners that haven't heard her, this is the first time you're hearing about yoga nidra. It is an ancient practice, like all these practices of yoga. So it isn't something that is new, even though in some ways, um, neuroscientists now are on, on top of it and they're calling it something different, right? They're packaging it up as something different, which is what we like to do in the West. We like to take those, those practices that have been around for lots of time, lots of time. And then we create, and we say, oh, this is what it is. Cause we pull things from it that we like. Well, <laughs> this practice has been around for a very long time and it is, it's not about movement. It really is about settling your body completely. Um, and within the practice itself, you support yourself in sometimes what is referred to as a rest nest, which is just a delightful way of thinking about how to really get comfortable and really pay attention to the ways that your body feels really where is support needed so that you can really let go and surrender into that support so that you're not holding yourself and creating tension, which we do all day long. And so that, that in and of itself can be really challenging for people because you're asking, asking them to not do anything. And for people that that is new for, they might move around a lot and that's okay to, because you're discovering it. You're discovering where your body um, is in space and what it feels like to lie still. And that can be just how you begin is just figuring that out. Once you're able to figure that out, the guidance of the teacher then is just to, uh, to guide you through your, through your koshas, through these different layers or sheets of your subtle body. And so it always begins with just recognizing your breath and recognizing your physicality, because that's the first layer that, that that's the layer, your physical body. And then through the guidance of the teacher, you slowly move into the, the deeper levels of yourself, into this humanness that you are, that moves into, you know, your energy body, your mental body, your wisdom body, and your bliss body. And if you're not you know, it's not to say there's an expectation to move through all those layers in every practice. Okay. It's possible, but it doesn't mean like, I'm going to lay down for yoga ninja and I'm going to get this type of work. We think that so much because of the way we set up goals in life and the way we aspire to do things. But the yoga ninja practice really takes us away from that, puts that aside and, and guides you through, um, and a level of receiving, And through that and that deep relaxation that comes from just being still, 
you might get to that deepest layer the first time you practice. It might be the 50th time you practice. Maybe you never quite get there. And the thing is, you don't know. You don't know, right? Like you only kind of understand that you have been in different layers of yourself kind of as you come out of the practice. So not really when you're there. And um, so it's, it's just wonderful because there's other ways to think of this practice through like your brain waves and how, what happens with your, the brain waves as you get into relaxed states and how you move through different states as we could talk about like sleep because yoga nidra is translated to sleep yoga, um, yoga sleep, but it isn't sleep in the way that we think about, you know, you go to bed at night, you get your, you know, your eight hours and then you wake up rested. Hopefully this actually is a way of getting rest without, um, without needing that length of time. You can, you can get kind of, and this is something that is now being really researched with the neuroscientists is like the amount of rest that you attain from like 20 to 30 minutes could be equivalent to like two to three hours of deep rest. But that's not something we want to start with or advertise too much because then people have that expectation, right? Like you don't, the whole premise of yoga nidra is to come with no expectations and to see what happens and to put forth zero effort. So it really seems counterintuitive to what everybody thinks they need to be doing. Like you need to work hard to get things done and you have these expectations of yourself. So it's really counter to all of that, which is partly why I love it so much because there's, there's not many places you can go to get that message. And I think that message is so important for healing Mm -hmm. and for addressing trauma that we might not have even realized that we're carrying around with us. Um, So whether you show up knowing that about yourself or not, this practice will really, really heal you over time. And I feel like that's what has happened for me um, through my journey. And that's why I really, really enjoy sharing it with others because it's amazing to see and to hear people's responses to what happened with them. And I'm not going to have the answers that, you know, sometimes they're like, why did this happen? Or what does this mean? And that uh, that's left for them to just sit with and to kind of to experience, but not for me to interpret for them as a yoga nidra teacher or a guide, you really are just there to assist them in reaching those different um, layers or moving through the koshas. So that's really what it's about. And I think everybody should try it. And that book that you were talking about that I wrote really was um, a culmination of being through teacher training and every time, you know, um, Hillary would tell us to kind of reflect afterwards, you sit up because you're lying down typically in like Shavasana or some restorative pose. And then you, you sit up afterwards and just free write. And it was that, that homework, right, of that task of free writing where all of a sudden I was realizing that I had so much, so much that just wanted to come out of me. And, um, so I just started writing that and that's what created that book, um, reflections on rest, a collection of awakenings through yoga nidra. It was a book of poetry and prose that results resulted from my personal practice. Mm, I love that. Okay. So I'm like, I want to first kind of tap back to something that you had said, and then we're going to dive a little bit deeper with the, with self-publishing in the book. But I want to talk about the yoga nidra and the expectations, because that is something that I feel, I feel deeply. And when I, before I became a teacher, 
just going to a yoga class. Cause if you're um, someone who's listening, or even if you're a teacher reminding your students that there is no expectation, because when I went into a class, I remember after a class, a teacher was like, you were really in it today, Andrea. It was great. And I'm like, you know, at the time I was in it. So I didn't realize I was in it until the teacher was like, good job. So then of course, next yeah. week comes, I'm like, let's Game really on. be in it. So of course, anytime that you're thinking I'm going to be in it, you're in your yeah. head. And that's, I mean, the same, I'm sure with, especially with yoga nidra, if you're a, even if the teacher, so like, even if you say that as a teacher, you might be thinking you're doing the student, a, you know, a service that was great, great practice. Right. But then the next time they, they might be thinking, yes, I need to do that exactly again. And then they lose right. the essence of the practice. So I think that's just a great reminder of just having the expectations be none and just mm-hmm. sit with it. And that's kind of what I did with, um, when I went through my Ayurvedic school and they had Tracy came in and did teaching with us and we, her, you know, homework for us was 40 days of the same yoga ninja practice with her voice and I did it. And I, you know, stuff did shift for me, but there was no expectation because, Mm. you know, I had kind of learned my lesson. Some practices, nothing came, you know, and especially if you're doing it every single day for, you know, 40 minutes every single day. Yep. Sometimes you're just like, Hey, I'm just checking the box because (laughs) that's just how it is some days. And other days you're like, I have space. I can truly sit with it and stuff will come out but not with that necessarily again, intention. And some days I'm checking the box, but all of a sudden I'm transported into this, you know, deeper session that I didn't think was going to come today. So I love that you shared that because I think that's something, it's a great reminder for everyone just to kind of really be in the practices and just have no expectations of what's going to come because we don't know, we don't know Mm -hmm. what's going to come. And sometimes the lessons are learned, you know, weeks later or months later where you're like, oh, wow, I'm slowly shifting that energy within me. Yes, absolutely. So you just got to keep coming back to it, you know, and, and I think that's true for any yoga practice. It's not a one and done, or it's not, Oh, I tried that a couple times. I went to this class. Um, and I, I, I don't get it or it didn't really work for me. It really is something that is revealed in time and consistency and, and detachment from expectations. So, yeah, that's why I say with teachers too. I'm like, try their class a few times. Cause the teacher could be having an off day too. And, mm. you know, I've went to a class where I was like, I hate this. This is horrible. And then it ended up being one of my favorites. And, mm. you know, she taught me, she was very strict, you know, with her yoga approach. And it was like a level two vinyasa class, but she would do headstands and she was in her late seventies, but she would yell. And I was like, Man, I, don't know if I like this, this is really intense for yoga. And, you know, my inner athlete and that pitta in me, I was like, is this too much fire? But at the end, I was like, my goal was to do a headstand. She got me doing a headstand by the end. And so I'm like, okay, like sometimes we do need that fire. And then sometimes we need, you know, I balanced it with a restorative practice on Sundays, but that's how, you know, you can kind of see, okay, that first class, if I would have been like, I hate this, this was way too intense. You know, let me just do restorative. I would have never gotten into a headstand and, you know, feel even now I haven't tried it actually postpartum. I should do that. Um, but you know, going back in and like, that's something that my body can now just pop up into as a headstand. Mm-hmm. I do still use a wall. I, I mean, I don't, I have it behind me. I have not, I do not trust myself to do a headstand in the middle of a room quite yet. Not quite to that level, <laughs> but I do it potentially, but I'm still not a little, little scared of that. Yeah. So again, there's this way it's a practice. There's just always, always a journey. So yes. speaking of that journey, I want to know about your self-publishing journey, because that's something as you know, I've done with a couple of my books and 
What are some of the lessons that you learned, hiccups, biggest things, maybe surprises that came as you were on your journey? Yes. Oh, okay. So I decided that from writing all of these pieces, just randomly after yoga and practice, I had a journal and I started reading through them and I was like, I had this deep, um, deep calling that they needed to be shared. I'm like, how do I share these? Like, how do I get these out? You know, I can, I can recite them in classes I teach and things like that in that way I could share orally, but there's something about having an artifact and that's Mm. what a book is. Right. And you can hand it out and give it to people, share it with others, and they can then approach it when it's right for them or pick it up and put it down as many times as they need for themselves. Um, so essentially I found somebody to guide me through that self-publishing process. Um, her name is Tanya Markle and she is an author. She is the author of the she book. If you've ever heard of that. And she's actually, she lives in Denmark. So this was all a virtual class and I found her through another yoga teacher. So, you know, it was very like serendipitous how this just I put out there into the universe that I think I need to share these with somebody but I don't know how and then it just like I got these answers and she just happened to be holding this course in the month of July and my summers I have more flexibility so I'm like July is it like this is perfect (laughs) timing um so for the for the month of July every day um she would send us another piece to the pub puzzle of self-publishing. So it was really like bite-sized pieces. Cause if you think of it, like you can only really take on one thing a day, if you are doing anything else in your life, right? Like it couldn't have been something I immersed myself in as far as like a, a course, I needed something to just give me little pieces and I can work with that and then move on to the next thing. I don't want the whole thing right at once. And I also didn't want to be overwhelmed by too much, um, like lecturing or giving me you know, information that might be helpful down the way if I went through more of a traditional publishing path, but I knew I wasn't going to approach that yet. So she had the self-publishing and she also has done traditional publishing. So she gave us some insight into the traditional publishing, but really we focused on self-publishing. So I just followed her step by step. Um, And then at the end, and I, at the beginning, I had said, okay, well, I intend for this to kind of come to fruition before I go back to school, because my school job, you know, starts in August. I'm like, can we get it, get it (laughs) going? But if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. I have the tools to make it happen when the time is right. Well, it happened. You know, I just put forth that intentional effort each day. I set aside time to do the task of the day. Um, And then by the end of it, I was able to come up to what my frustrations were. And then I found ways to solve those. So she was helpful in some of that. But also I I did reach out to you, Andrea, because the cover of the book, I was having some formatting issues with, and that was just kind of trial and error. And I had put in so much time on my own trying to figure that out. And it's not not something that's intuitive to me and it wasn't part of my skill set. So I hired that out to somebody on Fiverr um, that you recommended and she was great. And really it didn't take her much time at all. And I'm sure she found it as a very easy task, but for me it was wasn't. And I had given her, you know, I had I had created it. It was just a matter of getting it to work within the parameters of uh the self-publishing that I was doing through Amazon. And so they needed things to be formatted a certain way. And she was very privy to what that was and had the skill set to do that. So she was able to help me out with that part. Um, 
but through the self-publishing that Tanya guided us through, it was through um, Amazon. It was through like KDP, the Kindle Direct Publishing. And they have a great, so if anybody's interested in that, um, well, first of all, I would highly recommend Tanya. And I know she's going to do that, of course, again, I think in October. Um, so you could find her. And I mean, I can give you that information if you want to share that out, um, Andrea. But through, and even if you just want to look up KDP self-publishing, um, there is, there's a lot of information that you could guide yourself through, but I found it much more informative to have somebody that's actually done it. Give me like the backstory and everything, or give me like the exact link I needed to go to instead of finding the link through 10 other links, you know? Oh, yeah. um, and she did that. She was very good at being like, just go directly here. And I think it would have taken me a lot longer to find that direct place had I been exploring it on my own. Um, so she does, she did a great job with, that guidance. And now I can go back and I, at any point I've saved all of that, those tools that she gave me. So I, if I want to self-publish again, I know how to do it. Um, she also gave tidbits on where to go for traditional publishing, but oftentimes when you self-publish, it looks good then to, to traditional publishing companies, cause they've seen you've done it. And if it does well, then they might pick it up and even do like another edition of it. Or so, um, that might happen at some point. I haven't thought that far down the road, but the other frustration that I will say that I had was just like, I was typing everything into um, like a Google document. So all of my poems were in saved in like a, a Google doc. And I had to transfer that over to Microsoft Word and I didn't have Microsoft Word on my computer. So it was a matter of getting the license for that. And, and, that worked out fine, but then I had to like copy and paste things over to Microsoft Word and that changed things. And I was like, oh my God. Oh, so there was, but you know what? I made it through it and I got some assistance from my husband who has some tech skills that I don't, but there were things I figured out on my own. So it was kind of a labor of love oh, yeah. for sure. Um, but it was worth it. I mean, I'm happy to have that artifact now that I can share with people. Now, do you ship when they order from Amazon? Are you the one who's shipping it or do you have it stored somewhere where Amazon ships it? How do you kind of make that work? Yeah, great question. Um, they do it completely. So I think they print on, sh they print per order. Okay. So like when you order it from Amazon, they'll print it and send it to you. So I don't have anything to do with that process. I did order because as an author, you can order some yourself um, at a discounted rate, but they still, ch I mean, it, you still have to pay for shipping and everything, but you can get like a bulk order. And then from there I could, you know, I could share those out either in person or like on my personal website, but um, they, it's very slick to just do it from Amazon because they take care of all that inventory. There's no like inventory that they keep. It's just, they print on demand. Now, what about uh, percentage-wise? What do they take yep. all of that stuff to? Yeah. Um, so as far as royalties go, it's it's pretty great. I mean, I think I, this is my first time doing it, but it seemed okay to me that I get like 70% of what is made on a, on a per order basis. So. so yeah, these are all things that I'm like, because I didn't do Amazon. So I'm like, just to share with the audience, because I've shared kind of the other side and deciding not to do Amazon, but mm. still in the process of now with my first book, 
since it is like now at the point where it's kind of pure profit, do I put that on Amazon and, sure. you know, let them kind of deal with the print on demand? Cause as I was mm-hmm. like, I have no books right now. I have nothing in stock because yeah. I, have to, I have to reprint because they're all going to a yoga festival. Yeah. By the time this goes live, I would have already taught at, but I, I had to bring all of them and save up all of my inventory to bring to this festival. And so yeah. then, you know, I'm like, I made sure I made note of that on my you know website with the books, but then obviously I can't, you know, who's going to want to buy one when they're like, I'm not sure when it's shipping might be a month, could be two weeks. Not sure. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you have that like question mark and those little things that you have to deal with. So if you didn't do Amazon and you did what I did, yes, mm-hmm. you might get more profit, but then yeah. you have to worry about all of that. And then I did realize that you can ship. So I live in St. Paul. We don't, Maybe you can mail things from your little mailbox. I don't even know. I've never done that. I always use the blue mailboxes because I don't think our mail person is going to take them because we never we don't always get our mail every day either, which just kind of sits in there. So that's the one thing. And I I don't think our neighbors, they I've asked them and they're like, no, I always just drop it off in the blue box too. You can drop off books if you have it. So like I use Shopify and so you can um, print the labels at home and then just ship it directly. And I was going to the post office every time to oh, mail these books. Yeah, And that was a pain because, you know, it's, I have to drive there. And then sometimes I have to wait in line because I didn't realize you could, you know, print the label right from Shopify. So once yeah. I realized I could do all that, and then I talked to the guy there and he's like, you know, you can just drop these into like a blue mailbox. I'm like, what? I don't have to wait in these <laughs> line and send them to me. He's like, no, as long as they fit in the mailbox, this is it's post office. And yep. so I'm like, that saves you tons of time. But all of these little things when we're talking about self-publishing that people don't tell you that you're like, wow, because it can be on my end. That's a lot of time that I was wasting when I first printed the books. And now it's much easier because it's on my walking route, drop it off into the blue mailbox. But that's that's something to think about too, of like, okay, how am I getting it to people? Am I including a little handwritten note? Am I, you know, if you're doing it from home, I like to do that. I like to pick a little Oracle card. So there's little personal touches that I can add that, you know, you wouldn't be able to. And there's pros and cons. Like I have a friend who just switched from doing what I was doing to needing it to be someone else to do it because she just got too overwhelmed with all of the stuff that she was needing to ship out. And yeah. so that can be a point too, where if you start, maybe you're like, I am going to do it until I reach that point. And then it just, you know, it's constantly needing to ship stuff. And then that, that just, t- you know, cuts into, for her, it cuts into her writing time. So all of these things, you know, just to kind of share with everyone the ins and outs and the labor of love, because it's not like you're making millions of dollars on books. <laughs> no, and that's not why we do it, right? No. It's just, it's, yeah, we're not doing it for the the money, but I, I will just add to that, Andrea, that there is also a way on like USPS online that you can schedule a pickup at your house and say where you're going to put the book. So you could like have a stack of books like on your front step and just say like there's options of where you're going to put them like right outside my front door. Click that option. And so they know then when your mail person comes to pick up your mail that you have a pickup and they'll go to your front door or wherever you have the stack of books and they'll take them. See, that is nice, but I, I wouldn't trust it. We have just too many package thefts that oh, okay. I well, I don't know if I would feel comfortable leaving a stack of books. I feel like that just in drive-by people would be like, hey, what's that stack of something? And then fair probably, enough. it would probably get ditched in the alley. And then you're like, oh, that didn't go so well. So that would be my only hesitation just because it is not quite, I mean, I live in a safe neighborhood, but yeah. you still have people who do that. And then that's not fun. <laughs> 
I do think there's an option now that you kind of walked through that, because I think that isn't uncommon, what you just said, that I think that you can also select an option where they come to your house and like ring the doorbell and then you give them everything. That's so you nice. just have to be home for them to do that. But that would save you, like, especially in your situation where you've got young children and you're like, I don't know when I can get these out. And you know, you're going to be home because you're maybe a little bit more homebound. You could select that option. So when the male person comes, then you hand them over. So then you're, 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 you have less risk, right. Of having that theft from leaving them outside your door. I love it. I love it. <laughs> well, what is kind of your biggest lesson from maybe either you could pick it from writing your book from yoga nidra or yoga teacher training in general, what's kind of your biggest lesson as we kind of wrap up today, I would love to, to learn what that was. Mm, I think my biggest lesson is to not be afraid of the present moment. I think mm -hmm. that a lot of times that we try to, and I'm saying like, I'm pointing at myself here, but escape what's happening in the moment because it's uncomfortable, because we want it to be different, because I'm already looking into the future. And so I just have to get through the now, mm -hmm. right? Or I'm thinking about the past and I'm, you know, maybe I'm attached to something that happened before and I want it to be like it was like that nostalgia, you know? So it's like, don't be afraid right? Of being where you are right now. That to me is probably the honest truth of what I have felt in every training I've had. The take-home message, my own practice is just to really be fully with the present moment. So like right now I'm talking to you and I'm fully here. I'm not thinking about like all the other roles I play in life and the things I have to do today, because I don't think you would get the best from me in doing that. And so back to that idea of like embodying so that you can teach from a authentic place so that it's coming from you so that all that knowledge, all that wisdom that you've soaked in from your own teachers and from your own practice it comes out of you in the way that it was meant to be from you. Because I think that, you know, we've mentioned some really amazing teachers on this podcast today. We've talked about Tracy Stanley. We've talked about Hillary Jackendoff and it's like, they're wonderful and amazing and Tanya Boygan's on, but in, at the end of the day, we took what we could from them and it's within us, but it's going to come from us slightly different. Mm. And that's what you get from the teachers you choose to explore these teachings with. You get something slightly different because it's coming through them in the way that they've embodied it in the way that it has become part of their own knowledge mm -hmm. base. Mm -hmm. And so there's different ways of learning the same information and it might, it might land differently coming from a different teacher. And that's why I think yoga is so important to be, you know, it was passed down orally before it was written. And so right now we can read about yoga, we can read about practices and and how to do pranayama, for instance, but unless you're actually getting the teaching part of it, it's it's different. There's something that's transmuted in that relationship that you have with the teacher. And I think in all of that, my my message to myself is just be here be here, get what you can get from this moment so that you can take it into the next moment when that one arrives. I love that. Oh, 
Well, I would love for you to share us, um, you know, pick out a poem from your book and share it with us. Sure. Okay. So I had thought of a few, but I will just open it up and see where we get today. Okay, here we go. This is in, so the book, for those of you that don't know this, it's, I have it split up into the first half and the second half, just as um, a way of, you know, just, it was hard for me to decide, right? Like chapters, it's not really a chapter-based book um, because they're poems and prose. So it is first half and the second half, and it was basically determined by the number of pages there were. So this one is in the second half of the book and it's called To See. Remembering I am more than what the body can touch, smell, see, hear, feel. These sensations keep me grounded where I am. I notice heart beating, breath rising and falling, growing, expanding, descending, softening. There is much that I am capable of exploring this in me but that these eyes cannot see. I love it. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I was saying, I'm like, this is a great little book for yoga teachers to have because you can use it, you know, as you open a practice or finish a practice with students as well. So thank you for sharing that with us. Uh, where welcome. can people connect with you and, you know, social media? We didn't even talk about your candles, but you also have, <laughs> I just realized I was like, oh, shoot. She also has candles. So we'll just mention that. Um, yeah. And I am a subscriber to her seasonal boxes. They are delightful and they're soy based. So uh, definitely check out her candles as well. Yes. Thank you, Andrea. Yeah. yeah my website is um, www.theeseofbeing.com. And on Instagram, I'm also at the ease of being, but I have a different author page um, that, I mean, you could find this book and you can find me on either of them, but my author um, Instagram is at Christina, like my name, dot M dot S dot Jacobs. Oh. Well, let's wrap up with a little weekly challenge. And I would love for you to share a weekly challenge with everyone. All right. I love that you ask this of all of your people that you interview because I am an avid listener. So I knew I was going to get this question, which maybe is unfair, but that's what I get for listening to your podcast. And I actually have went back and forth on it. And I'm like, whatever happens in that moment when she asks me, that's what I'm supposed to say. So not to get out of that thinking brain and what I just said to be present with your question when the question is asked. So my challenge to your listeners is to soften your body, to soften your body at any point during the day when you are in a meeting, right? Can you just release tension in your pelvis? You're sitting there, right? And we, we tighten up so much, whether you realize it or not, you're tightening your pelvis, you're gripping, you're, there's all this gripping that's happening. So just release your pelvis when you're sitting there in that meeting, when you are with your children and they are like active or demanding of you, can you just soften the point between your eyes or soften your jaw, release the tongue from the top of your mouth into the lower part of your mouth. This can happen in any situation you're in, right? Even if you're driving, you can relax your pelvis, release the tension and gripping in your pelvis. 
relax the shoulders, just keep them, keep them soft. I always like to say soft. It's what resonates with me. Um, softening in my body just is the word I need to hear for my body to kind of move into that state of like relaxation. If soft doesn't work for you, if that's not something that is um, resonant, then whatever that is that gets you to the place of being able to release, mm. to, to not be so rigid, to not be at the edge all the time, to not be, um, be forward thinking so much because that's what, again, takes us out of the present moment. You can be where you are and just soften your body. And when you soften your body in those ways that I mentioned, then you're more receptive. Mm -hmm. It allows you to be more present so that you can be there because all that gripping happens because of because of these um, samskaras and things that we bring with us, these ha habitual patterns. And that might be something that we it could be ancestral. It could be, you know, part of where we've been in our life up until this point, or it could be that forward thinking mind that's taking us away from where we are. And so when you just meet yourself in your body in that way, it's like you're releasing the past. You're, you're letting go of the future and you're just present. That is the perfect challenge. And after we wrap up, I'm actually going to craniosacral therapy. So I was like, this sounds great. Exactly what I need to hear right now as I get ready to kind of soften and work through that. So thank you. Yes. You're welcome. You're welcome. Oh, well, thank you again for coming on and everyone definitely check out her book and um, again, her candles as well and um, head to her website. And if you are up in the Moorhead area, check out her live classes up there as well. So thank you, Christina, for coming on and just sharing your bright light with us. Thank you, Andrea. This was such an honor. I appreciate it. And everyone go out there and spread your peaceful power.